Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. First thing I want to get you to do is get your phones out. And, or if you have hardcover Bibles, either one's fine. And turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21. Feels like it's been a long time since we've been in the book of Samuel. And so as we get ready for Christmas, we're looking through Samuel and how Samuel points the way forward to Jesus. And I've got some big questions. What's really funny here is everyone's here, people here. I feel like I should move you guys from my right all the way here, but... Got some questions to help kind of get the, get the memory flowing. Now, when, why did the Israelites want a king? When they asked the prophet Samuel, what was the reason they wanted a king? Does anyone remember? What was the reason? Pardon? Yeah, lead them in battle. That's it exactly. Okay, they wanted a king to fight their battles, and that's important. Now, does anyone remember what Samuel said? What do you say in warning to them? What's going to happen when they have a king? The king's going to take everything. Okay, now that's really important. King's supposed to be fighting battles. Instead, the king's going to take wealth. Now, I'll be up front. 1 Samuel 21 and 22, probably not the passages that you would just reflect on theologically, find much practical application because they are a bit odd. But before we get into that, I kind of have to give a little bit of background. After, after David defeats Goliath, all Israel loves him. And we know that because David now has God's spirit upon him and God's spirit has left Saul. And so David, in whatever he does, he is victorious. Saul only kills thousands. David kills ten thousands, as the women says. Every time David leads troops out to, against the Philistines, he is victorious. And Saul gets increasingly jealous. So much so that not once, but twice, Saul tries to throw his spear at David. When that's unsuccessful, Saul tries to get David to marry his oldest daughter. And then David says, no, 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 I can't do that. Then Saul's second daughter, Michal, she falls in love with David. So Saul comes up with a plan. Oh, and this is going to be, if you listen to Banter tomorrow, we'll unpack this a bit more. It's the weirdest Bible passage out there. Saul tells David, well, if you can't afford the bride price, my price is this 100 Philistine foreskins. With the intention that, well, if he fights 100 Philistines, there's a chance that he might die. David goes out and kills 200 and brings 200 foreskins back. Very violent, very odd passage. But all that leads up to this point where David has to flee Saul. David has to flee from the palace, has to flee from his father-in-law, and now he is this in exile. And so 1 Samuel 21 and 22, we can divide into four parts. Part one, David visits the priest Abimelech to get food and to get Goliath's sword. Part two, David goes to the Philistine city come. Um, where the King Achish, uh, Philistine city Gath, where King Achish um, he's recognized. And David has to pretend to be insane in order to escape. Part three, David flees to a cave where he gathers, gets the outcast and his family. And part four, Saul kills Abimelech and the priests. So that's sort of the broad context. When I look at 
over the next 18 minutes. <laughs> Let's do this. It'll be quick. So there's always, we'll go into much greater depth in banter. This is just a 10,000 feet summary of what is happening. Now, when David is sent off into the wilderness and goes to the city of Nob, this, this begins his journey as a king. For, for faithful Israelite men and women, exile in wilderness is part of the experience of learning to become the leader God calls them to be. Think of Jacob, flees his father's house, has an encounter with God in the wilderness at Bethel. Think of Moses, he has to flee from Egypt and there in those 40 years in the wilderness, he becomes the leader God needs him to be. Think of the Israelites themselves as a nation collectively in the wilderness for 40 years that they, before they're able to enter the promised land to start living as the people God intends them to be. And now David has to go on a similar journey in the wilderness in order to become the king the Israelites need. It's important to remember because for us, just because we have God's spirit within us, just because you know, Jesus saved us by his blood. That means we're going to encounter hardships and difficulties, but they're there to grow us, to be the man or the woman God needs us to be. So as David enters the city of Nob, he, if you've got 1 Samuel 21 opened, he, um, he goes to the city of Nob. There he encounters the priest Abimelech. And when he meets Abimelech, um, David sort of lies here. He puts a bit of deception on because he realizes that if he tells the truth to Abimelech, Saul's probably going to kill him. So he says, well, the king sent me on a mission. This is verse 2. No one is to know anything about this mission I am sending you. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered, David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there's some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. Now, in Torah, in Leviticus, that bread could only be eaten by the priests. So when David asked for those five consecrated loaves, this is on a Sabbath day, it's only there for the priests to be consumed because it's holy bread. And Abimelech, the priest, he makes this decision in, in light, I guess, David's circumstances and tricky situation that he will sort of bend the rules a little bit in order to feed him. That's sort of one part, and Jesus will pick up on this. He uses this story to prove why the disciples can eat the grain at the Sabbath. But something a little bit deeper here happening. David's God's anointed king who is eating consecrated bread, which only the priests can eat, what does that kind of mean? David's a king and also a what? A priest. Now, who also was a king and a priest? Jesus. Yeah. So it's sort of setting up this pattern that kings are having a deeper role than just ruling over people. They're also to lead them in the worship of God. So when David's now got this bread, he's also got no food and he's got no weapons. And he asks Abimelech, he goes, well, do you have any weapons that I could use? And Abimelech says, yeah, I have one. The sword of Goliath. And David's like, all right, that will do. I'll take this bread and this sword. Now, during this conversation, we're told here in verse 7, 
one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord, which I'm not really sure what that means. He was Daog the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. Now keep that in the back of your mind. That'll be very important later on. Now, Goliath. He was a pretty small fellow, wasn't he? Nothing very unusual about him, was there? No. Now, what, what do we know Goliath for? He's giant. So, this is how desperate David is. He's fled from Saul. He's gone to Nob. He's got the sword of Goliath. Where's he go next? Gath. And what's Gath? The hometown of Goliath. This just shows you how absolutely desperate David is to flee from Saul. As he rocks up into Gath, they're like, hang on. We know I told this in the text, but I'm sure they're like, hang on, I know that sword. Hang on, I know this guy. This is David, the one they sing about. He kills his ten thousands. And now suddenly David is trapped. He's in the exact position Saul was hoping would happen to him when he, every time he sent him out into battles was that the Philistines would capture him. And now David here does something highly, highly unusual in the ancient world. He pretends to be completely and utterly insane. In fact, we're told here he starts making marks on the doors of the gate. He lets saliva drip down his beard. Now, I have a very light beard. In the ancient world, your beard was your sign of masculinity. You don't desecrate your beard. David here is prepared to shame himself completely and utterly in order to escape. And escape, he does. And then we're told, and this is now in chapter 22, Saul leaves Gath, Gath and he escaped to a cave in Adullam. Now in scripture, cave is probably about the lowest point you could get to. Like literally, a lot of caves in the Bible are where tombs are held. This is where David, he's gone from being a shepherd king to being the son-in-law of the king living in the palace to having to flee from his life to now hiding in a cave. Here he is at the absolute lowest point he could be. But this is where God wants him to be, to be the king that Israel needs. Because we're told, and if you look here in verse, or well, the end of verse 1 and verse 2, we're told here, when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there, all those who were in distress, all in debt or discontented, gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. What did the Israelites want? They wanted a king to be like all the nations around them, to fight their battles. Samuel said, and said they're gonna, that king's going to take everything from them. This is the type of king God wants. A man who's there in the caves who collects the discontented, the outcasts, the broken. It's not the wealth of David. It's not his trappings. It's his anointing by the Spirit that attracts people to him. This is where David is becoming the king God wants him to be. And if we kind of put that into our lives, you might think that living in the cave is the absolute lowest point you could be at. What is God using that situation for? To make you become the man or the woman God wants you to be. Now, the final part of the narrative, this is just 
It's a very tragic, very horrible story. We're, we're told here, it says from verse 6, that David, oh, sorry, that Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. And Saul was seated, spear in hand. Saul here sitting like a pagan Gentile king with the trappings of warfare around him. Spear in hand and he's um, under this tree, under the hill at Gibeath, and all his officials are standing at his side. And he says to them, listen, men of Benjamin, that's the tribe Saul comes from. Will the son of Jesse give you all you, um, give all you fields and vineyards? Will he make you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. Now, Saul is at his hometown, Gibeath. This is not a fancy city. This is not a fancy place. This is the absolute irony of this statement. He's just talking to a little tribe of Benjamin, the weakest tribe of them all, saying, hey, if you follow me, I will give you power. David will not do that. It's like this false sense of the power that we might be tempted to follow. This worldly power that will ultimately fail. We say with Saul, he, he's trying desperately to build himself up. He's got his spear. He's sitting under the tree. He's trying to build this palace in this little city, making Benjamin the supreme tribe in Israel. When in reality, if you want fields and vineyards, it's through David. One who's currently living in a cave. It's flipping the script. It's like what Jesus does with his kingship. When we follow him, he changes how life is supposed to be. And then we're told here, remember Daog the Edomite, who we, we introduced to briefly in the last chapter? He was standing at, with Saul's official. And he said, well, I saw the son of Jesse come to Abimelech, the son of Abitur at Nob. And Abimelech inquired of the Lord for him. And he also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. And Saul calls Abimelech before him, asks him, why have you done this? Abimelech's like, hey man, like David is one of your most faithful servants. Why do you want to kill him? And Saul is utterly enraged. And he says to his men, kill all the priests. And no one would do it except for Daog the Edomite. Now he doesn't just wipe out 85 priests, he wipes out all of Nob. And remember, what's the king of Israel supposed to do? Fight Israel's enemies. Instead, what's the king of Israel doing here? Wiping out fellow Israelites. It's just a tragic narrative showing the decline of Saul and the rise of David. In the last five minutes, the so what question. Okay, we've kind of unpacked that very briefly. Why is 1 Samuel 21 and 22 important to my life? Well, these stories are important because Scripture sees them as important. That moment when David pretends to be insane in front of Akisha Gath, if you flick over to Psalm 34, David writes a psalm, in response to that. This is a key moment for him. Because David, in, we're not told in the text, but in the psalm, he, he talks about how 
those who follow God, their, their faces are never covered in shame. What does David do to escape? Literally covers his beard in spit. He makes himself shameful in order to experience salvation so that he wouldn't feel shame in front of God. When Daol the Edomite betrays um, Abimelech and ultimately kills those priests, in response, David tends Psalm 52. And it begins with this, why do, you, why do you boast, you mighty hero? Mighty hero equates Daol here with these old enemies of Israel from old. People like Nimrod, people like Pharaoh, even a Goliath. These mighty, mighty heroes. Ultimately, they're going to be cut down. David actually says, guys, I'm like an olive tree. I'm like the best of the best. With the righteous, God will eventually vindicate us. And as I already mentioned earlier, Jesus Christ uses the account of David taking those five loaves to validate why his disciples can, take, can pick wheat on the Sabbath. Because there are times where life overcomes the intricacies of Torah. We'll also, too, just a little bit more deeply point to Jesus' role as the true son of David, the king and priest of Israel, who came to bring us true Sabbath rest. What we can take from these narratives is that hope of God's anointed one will never be destroyed. David, he's Life suffers many, many tragedies as you read through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Sometimes it's not by David's doing, sometimes it is. point of that is, despite Saul's best efforts to kill him, despite the Philistines' best efforts to kill him, David is not defeated. And that's with Jesus. Jesus as the greatest son of David. Yeah, he experiences hardship. He was crucified on the cross. But Jesus is not defeated. So as we come to this Christmas season, we can remember it may feel like our lives are broken, that we're being beaten. It may feel like we're, we're living through Psalm 34 or Psalm 52, that we feel like we need to be insane to escape a situation, that there's just no other way we can turn. We have to go to like the very worst, the worst of places in order to find life. What this reminds us is that God's anointed one will be victorious. Also, too, we're reminded quite, I guess, disturbingly that sometimes the righteous do suffer. Those 85 priests in Nob, the whole city is wiped out. There will be times where it feels like the evil one is boasting. The mighty one may, the mighty evil one may seem to have overcome the righteous one. But we fall back to this. David, as God's anointed, he is vindicated. He is saved, and Jesus Christ, as the true son of David, is victorious. So we can cling on to that, no matter what life throws at us. Amen? Amen. All right, friends, let me pray for us. Hey, Lord, as we've just unpacked your word, which just has so much depth, which can't do any justice to in a 20-minute sermon, we recognize how... These scriptures point us to Jesus, how the life of David and his exile and experiences point us to what Jesus accomplished ultimately upon the cross. 
And Lord, we give you thanks that as, yeah, your sons and daughters, that through faith in you, we have that victory. That whatever life throws at us, we know that because Jesus is ruling and reigning, we will win. There is no point of the mighty one boasting because you will defeat him. We are like an olive tree, the very best in the garden, because you will vindicate the righteous. And Lord, we give you thanks that we live in a righteousness that is not our own, but it's through what Jesus Christ has done. I pray this now in your son's name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.